This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. We've had lots of discussion about hydro in the last few days with the Wynn government's announcement of an 8% rebate on our bills. A rebate, of course, that will get at least partially eaten up by price increases that are set to take effect. In the midst of all this, QP, the Canadian Union of Public Employees, is suing the government over the sell-off of Hydro One. On the line, I have Daryl Brown, who is a lawyer with Goldblatt Partners, which is representing the union. Uh, Daryl, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Okay, so what is your argument? Well, of course, uh, I guess, first, first of all, to paint the picture at, at this point, uh, you know, under the Proceedings Against the Crown Act, we're required to give notice to the government prior to actually physically filing a statement of claim. So what was served on the government yesterday was that notice, and that's really a high-level characterization of, uh, of the claim that would be filed. So it's a, it's a public malfeasance claim. It's uh, asserting that uh, decisions were made uh, on a questionable basis with regard to the, uh, the hydro sell-off. And, uh, uh, of course, the details of this we really can't uh, be too precise with at this point until we actually file the statement of claim. That would become a public document at that time, and that would be sometime after the, uh, after the 60 uh, day expiry period. Uh, but this relates uh, back to a fundraiser, right? Um, Charles Souza and Bob Shirelli, who uh, are the ministers on this file, were at a fundraiser. It was attended by some of the banks that profited from uh, the first couple of tranches of the privatization. That's the crux of it, right? Well, there's certainly, I, I, I mean, there's a, a number of aspects to to what the lawsuit would entail. First of all, of course, generally, I think everyone recognizes that the vast majority of Ontarians were were opposed to the privatization. There were um, multiple steps taken early on, which QP was very active in, in vocalizing about in terms of uh, uh, ensuring that there wouldn't be access to information as to how the deal would be put together. Um, by changes in a number of laws governing uh, monitoring of, of public sector enterprises. Uh, and then, of course, there was the, the deal itself. So when you're talking about, yes, there are, uh, there's certainly the issue of the attendance at fundraisers by the people who arguably benefited the most from the privatization, certainly the, the banks, uh, uh, have earned uh, upwards of 60 to 65 million dollars in fees in, in, in uh, uh, underwriting the uh, the two tranches of the IPO. That's uh, those numbers are are pretty staggering. Uh, just to interject, uh, and I want to give the numbers out again because I'd like to hear from our listeners, who probably are familiar with those numbers, but hearing them again can be jarring. Uh, the numbers four one six three six zero zero seven forty or toll free one eight. 
866-744-740. I'm talking with Daryl Brown, who is a lawyer for CUPE, the union which is going to be uh, suing the government uh, over the privatization. And and one of the issues there is that uh, bankers who profited to the tune of, we just heard, $60, $70 million were at these fundraisers attended by the ministers uh, who headed up this file. Um, There's another aspect, if I could interject as please. well to this, and, and that is, uh, you know, the government owned 100% of Hydro, and uh, just prior to selling off the first 15%, it purchased additional common shares uh, to the tune of $2.6 billion. So, I mean, if you, if you, you know, if you think about this yourself, I mean, if you owned a corporation and you owned 100% of the shares and you intended to sell off 15% of it, then why would you put in an additional $2.6 billion? At the end of the day, if you're selling off 15 and now it's 30%, you're only going to be entitled to 70% of the dividends that are declared after the sale occurs. So you're not going to gain anything by virtue of of paying in $2.6 billion. But the fact of the matter is that once uh, the private ownership exceeded 10%, Hydro One becomes a taxable entity, and there was a departure tax then payable to the government of $2.6 billion, coincidentally. Coincidentally. So uh, that was kind of uh, uh, an equalization payment of a sort? (laughs) Well, uh, you know... uh, it seems pretty evident. It's and and um, you know the the union is saying. I mean, the government uh, in the throne speech just a couple of days ago is is promising to balance the books, something um, it has not been doing. And uh, the union is saying the only way that can happen is is more sell off of hydro. Well, certainly, uh, in the projections that the liberal government is is banking on i mean they're 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 factoring in a sale of uh, a substantial portion of hydro right so and that that certainly hasn't all taken place at this point and the the primary objective of this lawsuit is to to stop any further sale of shares and there's also another objective and that is there is a claim that would be made for damages related to uh, debt recovery charges, and um, I don't know if you want me to explain uh, that. Uh, give a it a bit. shot. Okay. Well, you know, back in if we go back in 1998, when there was a restructuring, um, there was a, a a calculated debt that was assigned to be retired, because the assumption was that when the, the new entities were operating in a competitive market, they actually the hydro bills would go down, not up. So there was uh, billions of dollars that were booked as debt, and that would be paid through uh, a number of avenues, but one of them was a debt recovery charge that would be levied on the consumers of electricity. And so, I mean, uh, the irony is is that the assumptions upon which that that debt amount was based on uh, proved to be significantly inaccurate. I mean, they were untrue uh, because, of course, hydro... Bills have gone up substantially, not down. So we know that, and and the the less you use, the more you pay. <laughs> it seems that way, and, and so I mean, when you look at the amounts that have been paid over the years 
for the uh, debt recovery recovery charge, both by by residents and and by businesses. I mean, this should have been retired a long time ago. But uh, interestingly enough, if I go back to that 2.6 billion dollars that was injected uh, to purchase purchase shares, that also factors into how much money should be paid back to the finance corporation in terms of retiring the debt. So. So right now, the Liberal government is saying that that uh, corporations and other entities like QP would continue to pay a debt recovery charge through to 2018. But um, a part of the mechanism for getting to that point is uh, including that $2.6 billion as an acquisition cost of the government that's, that offsets money that would otherwise be paid to the finance corporation. So, uh, in other words, not only have they paid in $2.6 billion to retire the departure tax, but they've inflated the offsets so that there's a, low, a lesser amount that would be paid to retire the debt, and they're still seeking to, to charge businesses and other organizations through to 2018 uh, for debt recovery, which really should have been retired long ago. Yeah, you know, uh, it's incredible because when we start talking about the cost of electricity, and I'm sure all of our listeners agree, it gives you a headache. It is almost impossible to unravel, let alone for us to understand our own bills, the why and the what. Most of us basically just know that they keep going up and up, even if we try to conserve and use less. Uh, and there's this whole issue of the privatization on top of this. Is the privatization um, a good thing or is it a bad thing? Um, you know, you have uh, some polling that shows that people were opposed to it. Uh, and uh, really, like, the, the whole thing just gets uh, murkier and, and murkier. Now, this lawsuit... Um, you're saying that uh, what you are hoping for is to stop further privatization. Um, how uh, can that be a remedy? Well, uh, I mean, there's there's a number of things that we'd seek that I think would be more explicit and evident once you see the statement of claim that, that will be filed. But uh, uh, we would want a, a declaration that supports the assertion that there was malfeasance and that uh, that there were, there's harm that has been caused and that that harm should uh, should not recur. And also, we'd want to have damages awarded related to uh, the debt recovery charges that should not have been levied. So, um, ideally, though. Uh, uh, you know, the, the part of the process of providing this notice in this notice period is in the hopes that it might jog the the um, decision makers in the Liberal government to to rethink the additional thirty thirty uh, percent of privatization they're planning on, and and hopefully we wouldn't have to go to trial. But um, if that course doesn't take place, uh, you know, much. Uh, depends on what comes out in terms of evidence as to what remedies would be available. Okay, uh, let's go to the phone. Let's uh, take a call from Joan in Toronto. Hello, Joan. Oh, hi. Um, I used to work for Hydro One. Okay. I've I've always been of the mind that I had lots of ways to cut their expenses. 
Um, I live now in a community that um, had its own power company, and it sold out to Hydro One. My hydro bills have now doubled in a year. Yep. And this may be what they're talking about, the rural rural uh, customer. I see no reason for it whatsoever. Um, and they aren't lenient. When they say that there's assistance for low-income customers, yeah, it's like $30 only if your income is under maybe $30,000. It, it, it doesn't amount to any help at all. I mean, $30 doesn't cut it when you owe them, you know, three, $400 per month. Right. And, yeah. So, and even the 8% that they're going to give back is just, you know, a drop in the bucket. It doesn't help. And I don't know why our hydro bills have doubled from one company to the next. Nothing else has changed. Well... So, I think okay. that um, uh, Daryl's been explaining it. I mean, there are all these charges tacked onto them, and, and some of the assumptions were wrong. Uh, they thought that rates would go, uh, that, that consumption, uh, sorry, that prices would go down. They've gone up, and we're just paying through the nose. Uh, Daryl, do you have anything to say to Joan? Well, I think in, in another aspect of this is it was never intended when this initial debt amount was assigned in 1998 that this would be a dynamic amount. But what's happened is that over time, the government has continued to add to that debt uh, because of inefficiencies and decisions that have been made with regard to, uh, you know, let's well, not necessarily inefficiencies, but let's say reclaiming or renovating the the uh, nuclear plants and the like. So they've added on to the debt, and then that that's increased the amount of debt, and it's lengthened out the debt recovery charges that have been levied on on consumers. So that's one aspect of it, and and I think you know, I, I, it's really not for me to be saying this because it doesn't relate to the lawsuit, but but you know, there's been. Uh, a number of programs that uh, that have increased the cost of of, of hydro, and and you can question whether those programs are uh, should appropriately uh, have an effect on what you as a consumer have to pay. Right. So, but the cost of the hydro that they're charging us is not all just in the cost of producing it. It's in it's in Hydro One's expenses that they have mm-hmm. to cover. Every employee has the, what they used to call a procurement card. Now it's, it's a credit card. Yeah. Every employee, every linesman, every um, electrical maintainer, every PNC person has a credit card. And that credit card is only viewed by their next upline manager. Anybody above that doesn't see it. Right. So it's, I know Tom Parkinson got into, you know, his secretary was using his credit card. Um, but it happens all the time. You know, people, somebody will say, oh, use your credit card and buy lunch and I'll sign it. And then it never gets seen by anybody else. And also, they have so many temporary jobs and they may pay somebody from Windsor to take a temporary job in Pickering. And they pay all the living expenses for them in Pickering and their travel time. Um, all the mid-managers who are living out of uh, Toronto to take the train in on a daily basis, and that's 
expect and expect. Like I, I think their I think their expenses need to be cut because no other companies that I've ever heard of or worked for have expenses like that. I mean, I, they, they, some of these temporary contracts, well, most of them are a year long. So they pay somebody to travel to that location once a week and then travel home at the end of the week and pay for their lodging and all their meals while they're in that, that remote location. Well, it's, it's part of the privatization process, what the government's done is it exempted Hydro One from the reporting oversight and disclosure requirements that that attach to the status of a public entity. So if it was bad as a public entity, what, what they've done is they've removed the authority from the Auditor General, the Ombudsman, the Financial Accountability Officer, the Lieutenant Governor and Council, and the Integrity Commissioner to investigate anything with regard to Hydro One. And on top of that, the, the controls on expenses and on executive compensation and la- lobbying activities and the rules with regard to how accounting practices should, have, should be completed, all of that was removed pr- prior to uh, the privatization to facilitate the privatization. Wow. And so, that's just darn wrong that nobody can investigate how much they're spending. Well, that's, it, that is terrible. Uh, Joan, I'm going to have to let you go. There's a lot of noise on your line. Oh, okay. Sorry. Thank you very much. Uh, those are all uh, very interesting points that you made about the way things uh, work at Hydro One. And uh, uh, Daryl, I'm sure a lot of people are not aware of that, that the oversight was taken off, and that's a, a lot to consider. So, Daryl, please hang on the line. Sure. We have to take a quick break, and we will be back with more on this when we return. Before we go, the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 866- 744-740. Uh, we're talking about a lawsuit that uh, CUPE is going to launch against the government over the privatization of Hydro One, but uh, the lawyer just pointing out that uh, all the agencies and the offices that normally oversee can now not oversee Hydro One, and that is a problem. Uh, so uh, we will be taking your calls and back with Daryl Brown back after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. And I am on the line with uh, Daryl Brown, who is a lawyer for QP. They are about to launch a lawsuit against the government uh, over the privatization of Hydro One. Uh, the goal is to stop further privatization. This comes in the midst of uh, the fanfare over that 8% tax rebate on our bills that the government announced on Monday, people are really upset about those bills, which just keep going up, even if consumption is down. And uh, now Daryl's just pointed out that Hydro One is removed from all kinds of oversight agencies, and this happened ahead of the privatization. Uh, Can you give us a little more background, Daryl? Well, I guess one other aspect that I might not have mentioned is that uh, there's no Freedom of Information access uh, after April 23rd, 2015. So, uh, I mean, what what the government's intent was, and I'm sure they can provide their rationale for it, but um, uh, they wanted things to go dark while they were doing the groundwork for the the privatization. And so, that in order to do that, 
they wanted to cut off any kind of freedom of information requests that would relate to the privatization. And they wanted to ensure that uh, the integrity commissioner, the ombudsman, the auditor general and the like would not uh, be able to study what was happening in hydro past uh, uh, that point. So, uh, and that's what's happened. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think also it's... Uh, particularly- Is that, I mean, because, you know, so far uh, only uh, a minority stake has been privatized. Is mm-hmm. that, uh, I mean, did they have to change any laws to make that happen? And do you think that the underwriters, the banks, uh, made that a condition? Uh, well, the, I think... Likely, it's not for me to put words in the government's mouth, but I, I would expect that the rationale that would be put forward is is that uh, in order to uh, comply with securities law and uh, uh, and be able to construct the deal that they wanted to construct, they wanted to remove public oversight and replace it with uh, the continuing disclosure requirements of a public entity pursuant to, to securities law. Um, but um, you know the, the the flip side to this is that this is still a an entity that is majority owned by the government and that is intended to serve the Ontario public. And by virtue of uh, and, they, and to your question, they did have to change laws. Uh, each of these uh, officers have authority by virtue of uh, legislation that covers their authority. So. They, there was an omnibus bill put out uh, related to uh, the privatization where revisions were made to the particular sections dealing with the Auditor General's authority, the ombudsman's, the financial accountability officers, etc., cetera, um, to restrict their authority. But I think their rationale would be, well, yes, we're restricting it here, but uh, you have the private sector checks and balances that would apply under the Securities Act. But uh, when you're... Uh, dealing with uh, what I think is arguably a a, a, a public good, um, uh, is it enough to simply subject Hydro One to the regular uh, rules of the game for any corporation? Uh, very good question. Uh, let's go to the phones. We've got Jim in Hanover. Hi, Jim. Hello. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I would like to, uh, this is what I heard, the Quebec offered to sell his hydro at eight cents a kilowatt, and we refused to take it. And I would like to know how all the other provinces are doing, because we're having so much problem here. There's, there's got to be a, a set pattern, and you know, you can't have Ontario doing what we're doing, just crippling everybody. Well, we don't want to buy from Quebec because we have a surplus. <laughs> we have to get rid of it at a loss. There you go. I mean, we're the ones that are suffering, the ordinary people. And it's getting more and more serious every six months. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, if they can produce it and sell it, why can't we? Well, we do sell it at a loss. <laughs> yeah, so they say. Well, well, yeah, We've uh, the government has got into uh, overpriced contracts uh, uh, that are not advantageous to the public. And uh, they have, we, Ontario has too much power and we end up sell, selling it at a loss. That's the situation. And for that loss to make that up, we make it up by paying more and more. No kidding. You know, I 
I mean, these guys should all be arrested and thrown in jail. <laughs> that That's one solution. Well, uh, uh, QP is going to take them to court over something more specific. Jim, thanks for your call. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, we've got Bill in Cambridge. Bill? Yes. Hello. In regards to the um, the new CEO appointed, I believe in uh, in 2015, salary is reported to be a million dollars a year. Why other CEOs for similar hydro operations, such as provincials in uh, in Quebec, uh, Alberta, um, and uh, and in the, in the West are. The maximum is five hundred thousand dollars. With a with a corporation in the red severely, how do they explain spending that kind of money for the CEO? Uh, I think they don't explain it. <laughs> um, uh, Daryl, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I, this goes to the point: there were caps on executive compensation, and they've been removed as part of the privatization process, and so. Um, you you can draw your own conclusions. You know, also the the board uh, of of Hydro was replaced uh, as part of the privatization process as well. So um, I don't want to say anything explicitly, but I think you can read between the lines. Yeah, it's very unfair. Yeah. Yep. What other person on a salary is making one million dollars? Well, a lot of private sector CEOs do. Yes, but maybe they're not they're not um, uh, governmentally um which was wholly owned by a province and the people that own it are the residents of the province of Ontario. Absolutely. And we still own 90% of it. Well, we're now down to 70. 70. Another mistake. Well, that's what the union is uh trying to stop. Good. Work on it. Okay, thank you very much, Bill. You're welcome. Okay, and uh, we are going to have to switch gears in a moment. Before we go, uh, Daryl, anything you'd like to leave us with? Uh, No, I think we've conveyed the message now. It's a question of uh, hoping that we we manage to convince people on the government side, and if not, uh, then uh, a statement of claim will be filed in November. Okay. Uh, Daryl Brown, lawyer with Goldblatt Partners, representing CUPE. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Nice talking to you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.